The gospel reading today, which is a long passage, is from John 8, verse 31 through the end of the chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The grass withers, the flower fades. morning. It's good to have a little more voice back this week, but uh, I'll try not to overstay my welcome here. Um, Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time to gather together to worship you, to hear your word read and preached, and I pray and ask that you would use the words of this sermon, that you would use all that has been done here today to turn our hearts to you, to turn those who have never known you to come to know you, to desire to know you, and that you would turn those who have known you for years to want a deeper relationship with you, to grow deeper in their knowledge of you. Lord, build up your church today and build us up. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, to start off with uh, um, the title of this being True Freedom, talking a little bit about freedom, I actually found a a pretty good quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer on on his definition of freedom, and it's, it's more in the context of our uh, a biblical context. I mean, if you think about freedom, you know, the first thing some people may think of is, is, uh, national freedom, uh, nationalism, and, 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 and the freedom of our nation, the freedom that we have as individuals. Um, there's there's a, a, a broad context for freedom, but I'm going to read you this and start off with, uh, with Bonhoeffer's words, and I think uh, that'll be a good start. Bonhoeffer says this, freedom is not a quality of man, nor is it an ability, a capacity, a kind of being that somehow flares up in him, Anyone investigating man to discover freedom finds nothing of it. Why? Because freedom is not a quality which can be revealed. It's not a possession, a presence, an object, nor is it a form of existence, but a relationship and nothing else. In truth, freedom is a relationship between two persons. Being free means being free means being free for the other, because the other has bound me to him. Only in relationship with the other am I free. So in today's passage, which is a very long passage, I I realize, but we're going to try to hit on the the major points of this. And um, Jesus here is talking about what it means to be truly free. If we take Bonhoeffer's definition of freedom, that freedom is a relationship then what we have in this passage is is Jesus declaring the path to true freedom. 
as actually the path to a right relationship with God the Father. So what we're going to see here this morning is that path involves knowing the call that Jesus places on us, knowing our condition, and knowing our combatant. Okay, you got to get three C words in there. But knowing our call, knowing our condition, and knowing our combatant, our enemy. Let's start with knowing our call. Verse 31 says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Now I'm going to stop there because notice that Jesus is talking to people who has said of them they believed him. Now, hearing the rest of this passage, you hear quite a, quite a, a dialogue going, in between, going on between the two of them. It gets pretty heated. But these are Jews who believed him. For clarity now, some commentators make, a, 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 make the note that those who had believed him, who previously believed him, I think the, NIV, or the ESV says had believed him. So what this is looking at here is, is, is that these are probably weak believers. Believers who maybe are brand new, just getting to know Jesus. And really, this is pretty common all throughout the Gospels and also throughout Scripture. Remember, you'll see some who believed Jesus, some who followed him, or some who were even called his disciples will leave him in this book, in this chapter, or in this, in this uh, gospel. The end of chapter 6, if you remember, when he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, then it says at the very end of chapter 6 that many of his disciples left him. They couldn't take it. It was too much to hear these words of Jesus, and they said, no more, we're leaving this, as you know, is not uncommon in Scripture as a whole. Throughout the story of Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, when God's people believe and, and, and turn toward God, and Moses delivers them, and they say, Moses, you're awesome. God is awesome. And then Moses, we hate you. You just led us out into the desert to die. What's God doing to us? What are you doing to us? You see how fickle we can be, and this is all throughout the story of Scripture. So, Jesus is dealing with disciples who have come to him, but who are fledgling. And he says this in, chapter in verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first thing to notice here is this is a call of grace from Jesus. It's not a command. This is an invitation from Jesus more than anything else. He's inviting the disciples, those who have claimed to believe in him. He's now taking them to the next level. It's an invitation, though, that requires a commitment. It requires a move. Jesus is calling us, as one commentator says, to move into his home through this word. To move in, to live with him, to be with him. In fact, one commentator translates this verse, if you, instead of, if you, um, if you abide in my word, one, one translation is, if you make your home with me and with my teachings. This word for abide is the word to stay. In fact, it's the word to settle, 
to remain. We'll see it a bunch in chapter 15 when we talk about the, the, the branch and the vine. To, for the branches to abide in the vine, we are to abide in Christ in the same way. So you'll see this sometimes said as remaining in me, abiding in me. But it is truly, first and foremost, a word that refers to settling and resting in one place. So to abide and remain with Jesus here is to persevere through doubts, to persevere and endure through your fears, to endure when things are difficult and hard to understand. Right when people usually turn around and leave Jesus, he's saying, he's inviting us, he's inviting these new believers to, in, to remain with him, to abide in him and his teachings. These were believers who probably were uncertain of Jesus at this time. It's a good time as we read something like this to reflect on what is challenging our relationship with Jesus. What's challenging your relationship with Jesus? How deep do you feel your relationship is with the Savior? He says, when you abide, when you remain, when you move in with me, then you are truly following me. Then you're truly a disciple. A few things to point out here. This is not Jesus calling you and me to a daily quiet time. He's not calling us to read one or more chapters a day. In other words, this isn't a relationship that he's calling us to. This is not a relationship of discipline and duty. Also remember that the Jewish leaders who, who were all around him were full of the scriptures and full of discipline to read the scriptures and take it all in and study it and memorize it. They had it more than anybody. Jesus' disciples, in fact, were later criticized for being uneducated. Wonder how well they read, if at all. His words weren't even ever, I mean, think about this. At this time, when Jesus is saying this to the crowd, he didn't even have any words written down that somebody can go out and purchase and carry with them and read every day. They had to seek him out. Back in chapter 8, what they were doing, they, he was in the temple. They gathered and sat around him and, and heard him teaching. They had to follow him. They had to make some effort to go and hear him to have his word abiding in them. They had to chase after him. So what does it mean to abide in his word? Well, for one, it's his teaching, his message, his message of salvation. Think about the things he said all throughout up until now, the chapters 1 through 8, and throughout the rest of the Gospels, that he came to save, not to condemn, that he is the word of God, that he is, he was with God, and he, is, he was God, and he came and became flesh in order that he may become the Lamb of God. He came in order that he may save us from our sins. All of his message is that everything you have been looking at in the Old Testament has been written about me. Moses wrote about me. Everything that was done was pointing to me is what Jesus was saying. That is the message. It's not just learn the New Testament, the Old Testament, and all the other scriptures, but understand what they mean in the context 
of the Savior in the context of the Word of God. This call from Jesus is a call into a growing relationship with him. So, this made me think, how do you grow in your relationship with your spouse or with a close friend? These are some good things to think about when we're, when we're talking about our relationship with Jesus. Because we, we, I think we would all agree that, that our relationship with Jesus is a true relationship. So how do you enter into a relationship with a friend, a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever that is? And how do you want to see that grow? What efforts are made? What, what, what things do you do together? I think it, most of all, requires a lot of commitment to that relationship. Coming together, communicating, getting to know one another, sharing your heart with one another. Think about that. But it's also a call to those of us. So, so this call now is to, to the fledgling disciples that, that were coming to Jesus. But it's also a call to those of us who feel that our relationship with Jesus is good. Because maybe you don't, oh, as I used to hear it put, smoke or chew or hang with those who do. You know what I mean. Because you think you lead a moral life. And therefore, your relationship with Jesus is good. Or you feel that your relationship with Jesus is good because you read your Bible every day. And by the way, that is a good thing. But hear me out. That you read your Bible every day or keep a journal or pray and speak to others about the gospel. You see, lifestyle, disciplines, reading, praying are all important and even essential to a relationship with Jesus, but they are not the crux of the relationship. And just to compare that with your human relationships, if you keep a very organized, disciplined relationship with your spouse, it doesn't indicate a deep, loving relationship, does it? So abiding is first about loving. It's about knowing. Dan Allender, who is a, a well-known author, especially in the counseling world, um, I'm paraphrasing this because I heard it from Christy, but he says this, passionless duty, speaking in the marriage context, passionless duty is as damaging to a marriage as infidelity. Passionless duty is as damaging to a marriage as infidelity. Now, you may, may not agree with that, but the truth is, if your relationship is full of passionless duty, it's not a strong relationship. It's not a loving relationship. And a relationship with Jesus is very easy to fill with passionless duty, isn't it? certainly is for me. So it makes me think, how might you demonstrate your love for Jesus in addition to Bible reading? 
Because he's talking about abiding in his word. But how might you demonstrate your love for Jesus in addition to your daily Bible reading? What else can you do after you get up from the Bible and go into your day to demonstrate your love for Jesus? To deepen your relationship with him? Let me just give a few thoughts. Perhaps inviting Jesus into every area of your life. Not just when you're praying on your knees in your room or wherever you, that may be, but recognizing that every single moment of your day, you can invite Jesus into those moments. Talking to him. Asking him for guidance in little decisions. Sharing your deepest heart's fears. It's not always easy to just be honest about your deepest fears, even sitting before Jesus. Your deepest desires, your frustrations, sharing your frustrations with him, with the Bible, with just how things are going, but crying out to him in those ways and seeking him for guidance, learning to trust him more, maybe giving more, Maybe taking some risks, taking some risks that are going to involve believing in him, that's going to involve deepening your faith to carry out those risks. So we're moving on. Because we see for these, for these disciples to whom he was speaking, it didn't seem to matter because they saw no use for Jesus' message here. Perhaps it was that claim that I'll make you free. It seems to be an insult, an insult to them that Jesus is saying, I'll make you free, doesn't it? Maybe similar to somebody coming up to a very wealthy, successful person saying, if you stay with me, I'll make you successful. That could be the way they felt. What are you talking about? You're going to make me free. As they say in verse 33, they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? And that's where Jesus helps us to know our condition. Speaking to the Jews, he's also speaking to us here. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And he acknowledges, verse 37, I know you're, you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. But notice the grace here too. He's calling, this call, to, this invitation to come to Jesus, to move in with him, to be with him, is made to slaves. It's made to people he knows are not one with God, are not sons of God. They're slaves to sin, and he's called, making that same call to us. Those who are not in Christ are slaves to sin. And Jesus is making a gracious call, reminding them or letting them know that your condition does not change because you came from Abraham. I, I get it. You, you came from Abraham. 
but that doesn't make you righteous. That does not make you heirs of the promise. And we saw this read this morning. We heard it read in Galatians 7 when Paul says, Know then that it's those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They didn't realize that they were called to have faith in the same way that Abraham did as well and to be a blessing to the nations. Paul talks about the advantage of being a Jew. The, the advantage of being a Jew was that they had the oracles of God. They had the scriptures. They were the ones from whom the blessings were to go to the rest of the world, to the rest of the nations. But all they were doing was looking at themselves saying, look at us, we're children of Abraham. We need nothing more. We have all we need and we are enslaved to nobody. And then knowing our combatant, verse 39, the answer that Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. The works of Abraham were simply having faith and believing in the promise. In Genesis 12, Abraham believed God and it was considered to him as righteousness. It was Abraham's faith that brought him the sonship that, that gave him his righteousness. It was righteousness through faith. And Jesus is now telling them, you're doing the works your father did. And they said, we weren't born of sexual immorality. They're referring to what they know about him. Thinking that he was illegitimate from his birth, knowing his story. Not believing the virgin birth. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? And he tells them, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And he says a very sharp, sharp rebuke here. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. I read one commentator who says this is the most lamentable passage to preach from and one of the hardest ones to read in the Gospels because of what's been done with it to the Jewish people. That it's focusing on calling the Jews the sons of the devil, but Jesus is speaking about all of us. All of us who don't have Christ are sons of the devil. Sons of lies. That's why Paul says in Romans in chapter 6, he says, no longer let sin reign in your mortal body because you don't have to let sin reign in your mortal body. Because he says in chapter 8 that there is no condemnation for you. You have no condemnation against you if you're in Christ Jesus. And that is what Jesus was trying to tell them that I'm the only one who can give you the freedom that you need, but you don't even recognize your need for it. 53, they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And Jesus kind of makes a statement that is unequivocally stating who he is. 
A lot of times in these, in these passages, Jesus will, will give an I am statement and a, and a commentator will say, well, I'm not sure if that was actually him saying, using the, the I am, the, the title for God, the great I am, what he told Moses, he, uh, Yahweh gave his, his name was I am that I am. Sam talked about this last week. The Greek word for it is ego a me. And, and so when, when you see this, your, your, your eyes perk up in, in scripture when Jesus uses a term I am about himself. Verse 57, he says, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in other words, he's saying, listen to me, this is truth. I say to you before Abraham was, I am. That's powerful. And you wonder why were they picking up stones to, to want to stone him? Because he just said, I'm the great I am. That name is my name. Powerful. But it's what he's been saying all along. It's what John has been saying from the very beginning. And now it comes from his mouth in the strongest way possible. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying. So the call from our Lord in this passage is a call to abide, to move in with him, to rest in him, to settle in him and in his teaching. It's the call to rest in him, to seek to know him more through knowing our call and knowing the freedom that awaits us if we follow him. Freedom from what? Freedom from our enemy. Freedom from our sinful condition. And freedom a real freedom to rest in our Savior's love and saving power. But it's also a warning to those who see no reason for a Savior. If you're here and you have no reason, you don't see any reason for a Savior in your life, this call is a warning to you. There is only one Savior. And without that Savior, you are put into slavery to sin. And there is no hope because we are all, as Romans, as, as Paul tells us in Romans, we are all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all fallen short of being worthy to be in the presence of God because of the sin that's in our lives. But Jesus calls all of us this morning to make our home with him to begin a relationship with him or to deepen your relationship with him, to make your relationship more than what it's ever been, to love him and to enjoy him and the freedom that he gives. He calls us to trust him, and if we follow him, we'll know the truth, and that truth will make us free from the guilt and condemnation and, most of all, the sting of death. Imagine that. He will make us free indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, may our love for you drive us to know you more through your word and through your spirit. And Lord, may we learn more what it means to abide in your word, to abide in you and to rest in you. Lord, give us ears to hear that today and give us hearts that are drawn to it. It's in Christ's name.
Amen.